Fine, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's kind of weird for me to be in this position with you. Usually, you're in the front of the room training advisors. Today, I get the privilege of chatting with you on the phone. Rich is the director at FI360. He oversees the strategic direction of the organization and specifically provides direction with respect to fiduciary developments. But more than anything, Rich is the man who goes out and gets all of us advisors educated on what is and how we should be using the AIF designation. So, Rich, it's great to have you on the radio today. I'm glad to be here. Well, great. So we're going to jump right into it. So let's let's keep in mind that there are a large number of advisors who listen to the show that are that are very familiar with FI360 and the AIF and the AIFA and all of your other properties. Uh, but there is also a large number of advisors who may turn into this who don't know all of the details, so we don't want to isolate anyone. So uh, I may ask you some additional follow-up questions just to make sure that you and I aren't speaking in vernacular. Some of the folks may not be familiar with. Is that okay? Sure. That, that, sounds, that sounds like that should work fine. Well, great. So we're going to talk about the AIF designation and how advisors can actually use it to make a difference, cement existing relationships, build that emotional checkbook with their plan sponsor clients, but also use it in a competitive advantage to help them stand out. So this isn't one of the questions that we talked about or prepared but I'm, or went over, but I'm sure you can answer it. What was the impetus to start the AIF designation? We were this, – this goes back to when FI360 got its start, and that was in 1999. And at that point in time, we were just developing, you know, the practices and eventually the criteria that formed this defined fiduciary standard of care that we train on in particularly in that core, our core course, the AIF uh, training program. And the, the, as we were teaching at the University of Pittsburgh initially and then elsewhere, we were teaching advisors how to deliver a, a fiduciary level of service to clients, if you will. And, and the benefit of doing that was it enabled them to essentially tighten up their process and make it more more efficient and more scalable, which also makes it more prudent and prudence is what is required from the fiduciary perspective. So as we as we were training early on, ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand and one, and we were getting more advisors coming through the program, they began asking for a designation that you know, asking us to pursue a designation so that they would have something that they could point to that indicated that they had this special fiduciary training, if you will, um, and enable them to market that to to prospective clients. And so it was actually the pushing from students that, that caused us to pursue it, and, and then we eventually ended up awarding our first designations in October of 2002. Well, well thank you very much for the, the brief history lesson. I knew a lot of that, but I did not know that the first designee was awarded in 2002. So that's 
Well, we're going we're gonna to take a gigantic quantum leap forward to 2016. We are living in interesting times. Uh, we have the DOL rule, the conflict of interest rule on the slate to go into effect in April. We've got a new administration. One way or the other, the AIF is a means to enable advisors to efficiently scale their practices. And I love what you said, that efficiency and scale equals prudence. No wasted movement, universal standard, making sure you're doing the same thing for all of your clients. The AIF is a very comprehensive designation. I actually have it, but I'm going to get right to the point. How are designees using it to highlight their experience and their qualifications with retirement plans and qualified plans specifically? Well, a couple points I would make there, Chuck. One, um, it is a comprehensive designation in the sense that it, it, it goes through and teaches to, you know, explains what a fiduciary standard of care looks like. It, it's interesting. I've done a lot of presentations since the DOL rule was finalized back in April, and Everybody's talking fiduciary nowadays, as we both know. And the but when you start pressing people a little bit on that with respect to so what does what does fiduciary mean or what does a fiduciary standard of care look like? Oftentimes people will stumble and 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 eventually they'll say things like, well, that means you put the client's interest first, or that means that you you know you need to try to eliminate conflicts of interest if you can, and and those things are all true, but. But there's much more. There's much more in the details um, that you know. Once you get down to what what it actually looks like, and so so in the course we're going through all of that, essentially covering what we what we have laid out in our fiduciary handbooks. What what that so when when you've completed the training, what that enables an AIF a designee. I'm sorry, an AIF designee to do is again, and I already touched on the fact that it enables them to tighten up their process. They they realize that even though Oftentimes a comment I'll get in class is, you know, Rich, it's not like you, you mentioned anything that I didn't already know or that I hadn't heard before, but I'm not as organized as you are with respect to how you put all this together. So my, my task when I get back to the office is to, to use what I've learned to help get myself more organized and, and therefore I can deliver a more consistent, coherent, and again, therefore a more prudent process. So that's, the, that's their first stop. Once they've done that, it puts them in a very good position to go out to others. And this, this is where I see a lot of our designees using the designation in a way to, to, to drive business. They'll, they'll, they'll approach a prospective client and they'll talk to them about the fact that and I encourage them to do this. Talk to them about the fact that do you, you know, do you understand that you're in a fiduciary role? Do you understand, or did you know, that there are things that fiduciaries are supposed to do in order to fulfill their responsibilities? And and as they begin to explain that, the the prospective client oftentimes realizes that geez, I don't know a whole lot about this, or maybe they know some things about it, but they realize as the conversation continues that there's a lot of things he's, he or she is mentioning that I'm not really doing. And then, then it's, that, in a sense, sets them up to where they're in a position where they can, they can differentiate themselves from others that are competing for the same clients, particularly in this current environment, as you mentioned, with respect to the DOL rule and other things that have happened over the last several years that are clearly heading us as an industry down, down that fiduciary path. Excellent. I couldn't agree more. You know, the, a lot of times when you go to uh, certain websites, there, there isn't a lot of substantive information on there. But when you go to yours, 
And one of my favorite things to reflect on is the periodic table of global fiduciary practices for investment advisors. I think it's a great one-pager. It's a great handout. And I think what that does is it highlights the four excellent aspects of what the advisor should be doing. They need to be organized. They need to formalize. They need to implement. And then lastly, they need to monitor. I think when you probably have those conversations in class, the one that usually stands out is the monitor part. Yeah, they do their annual review. Maybe they do an operations checklist. They do their participant education meetings. They do the standard you know, enrollment meeting. They travel around, do the one-on-one. But in order to be able to do that, when you're trying to move from being an aspiring advisor, someone that we call that's got three, four, five plans but maybe less than ten, and you're trying to move into that intentional category where this is all you do every day, the other three steps – the organize, the formalize, and the implement, those are the ones that, as you say, are going to help you scale. So I think that's great. I'm going to jump a little bit off topic, uh, and I know you're probably going to touch on it, but the training for the course, you know, there are two ways you can do it. You can do it online, and for a guy that talks nothing about online, nothing about social, nothing about digital, confession, I actually went to a live capstone course. You may not have hard numbers, but what percentage are you finding, especially over the last two or three years, that advisors who are committing to this, who are investing their time and their treasure in pursuing the designation, where is that falling out? Is it 90% online and 10% in person? How is that shaking out, and why do you think it is shaking out that way? If I were to guess, I would say it's probably pretty close to 50-50, so 50% coming in and doing the online training and then taking the exam and, 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 and calling it good, and then the other 50% that are doing the, the, the online work is the same, but that, that, but that additional 50%, they want to come and sit in class for a day and interact with myself or other instructors and interact with the other students before they sit for that exam. Um, the benefit it may be obvious, but the benefit of the in-class and the reason we continue to actually encourage the in-class experience is because you it brings it to life when you have an instructor and other students that are talking about you know various practices, various criteria that make up this fiduciary standard of care and how that actually looks or or how they're implementing that in you know, in their practice with respect to how they engage clients. So, and it enables it enables us in that classroom portion to to go deeper where there's confusion or misunderstanding, to to move quickly through the areas that people pretty much have got it. Um, so, so we can, can kind of customize it to a degree from the from the classroom session. And what we do find, and again, I don't have hard numbers here either, but I know that the pass rate is higher after the in-class instruction than it is for those that just do it online. And that, that's no surprise. You're, you're reinforcing what you've already seen once, and, and some people actually go through the online a couple times. Um, but then you're also talking about it as well. So by the time that you take the exam at the end of that day, um, you're, you're generally going to do better than if you had just done the online portion. Well, I will tell you that I, uh, I, was, I was a tad bit reluctant to actually sit through the day of training and, and then take the – the, the exam on the following day, but you're absolutely right. One of the best parts was, well, first of all, was the instructor. I had Sonny. He was absolutely wonderful, very funny, very practical. 
Uh, and it, and I think it made it worth the trip. And then on top of that, one of the things that our industry has done over the last 20 years, in my opinion, and I'm not putting words in anybody else's mouth, is they fragmented us. Uh, large industry conferences really don't take place all that much anymore, maybe not specifically for the retirement plan-centric advisor, but being able to come together and network and collaborate and learn, that's, that for me was one of the best parts. And on top of that, there was probably no better place to be in April than at your conference in San Diego when they finally put the big rubber stamp on the big fiduciary rule. So, uh, shameless plug for the conference, if you don't go to the FI360 conference, you may want to put it on your calendar. It's one of those events that if you're in this space and you want pure retirement plan, fiduciary gear content, not just for retirement plans or IRAs or you know municipalities or trusts or endowments, this is a great conference, and this year it's in Nashville, correct? That's correct. So go to the FI360.com website, put in the code. There is no code, but maybe I'll get a free T-shirt uh, if you say that I, I you heard this and you got to go. So, Rich, let's jump into the deliverables. You go, you spend the money, you, you travel to take the exam, whether it's a capstone event or your broker-dealer or RIA sponsoring it or one of FI360's DCIO partners. When you leave and you walk out, what deliverables does FI360 give the advisor in order to enable him or her to stand out? The, the the deliverables deliverables that we provide. Um, first, first of all, and, and this is this is pretty standard, I would say. But you know, you, you get your you get your nice certificate in an embossed jacket, and you're suitable for display and all those things. You you are afforded the opportunity. You know, the, the the AIF requires six hours of a continuing ed each year. Now, we try to make that as painless as possible. So one way you can take care of all of that is to go to the conference, as Chuck was just referring to. But the other way, and, and again, this is where we try to make it, again, as easy as we can, we're record, we always record the presentations at the conferences. We record the presentations we do for webinars, and we do a lot of webinars. Um, and so we have those in a designee library, which is behind the password protected portion of the FI360 website. So you can go back there from your office. You can pull presentations that you're interested in, and there's a bunch of them back there. And you can listen to those at your desk and take care of your CE that way. So you have access to all that. Also in that same library of materials is a lot of information that is really useful for, from the standpoint of helping you to, as you engage your, your, your current clients and as you look to win new clients. You know, there, there's, there's marketing and education materials that you can use to help sell why an AIF designee is someone they should hire as opposed to someone that doesn't have the designation. There's, there's electronic copies of literally everything that you see um, in class from the handbooks to the to the CAFE documents, to the auditing tools. Um, there's template agreements for those who are stepping into a 321 role or a 338 role. So there's a lot of information behind that portal that you can make use of. And then, and then the last is we're required because of the, you know, actually FINRA requires this. And when we, when we applied to them, 
you know, I think it was in 2003, to recognize a designation. They don't approve designations, but they recognize designations that are out there in the industry. One of the things that FINRA required was that we had a public listing of all designees in good standing. Um, and so there's a designee listing that's on the FI360 website that anybody can go to. And, and what we have found over the years is that has become a search tool for um, for other designees so they can find people that have the designation, it, 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 but also for, uh, for employers, for media, um, when, when you're given referrals to people, they can go there to verify that you do in fact have this designation that you've mentioned. So it's a, it's a database that gets searched a lot by a lot of different people and, and what we have learned over the years is in many cases, it's a real benefit because of that to, to the designees. Excellent. Thank you very much. So my next question is, if you were going to give an advisor one thing to do when they got started right after they got their AIF designation, they're all, they're all excited. They've got this massive block of education. They've got online tools and templates and PDFs and handbooks. How would an advisor go about educating a plan sponsor about the benefits of working with an advisor that has this designation? Well, you know, I, I give you a, a scenario that I typically talk about in class, and, and this this one I think, and I've talked to many designees that have done this, and it and it, it works very well. Um, and this is this is a this is a marketing tip, if you will. But the one of the one of the documents that we talk about in class and that is behind that portal is what we call a SAFE, and that's an acronym for a self-assessment of fiduciary excellence, and. The steward safe, is the, the safe that it pertains to your prospective client is a, is a very nice brochure, blue cover, and there's 21 questions in that document um, that pertain to the 21 practices that make up this fiduciary standard of care we've been talking about. So what I encourage uh, designees of ours to do is, you know, next time you're going out to make a pitch to a prospective client, change your, change your pitch just a bit. Um, and, and, this is, and this is what I suggest that they do. You know, you're going to talk about who you are, what you've done, how many clients you have, how many plans you have, all those different things, and that's fine. I said, but before you do any of that, when you walk in the room, and let's say it's, it's for a retirement plan, and let's say that there's five members on the investment committee, they're sitting in front of you, take six of these safe documents in with you. Pass them out as you sit down and begin to speak. And, and then the first thing you do as you make your presentation is you ask a question, which is an, unusual in and of itself. And the question that you ask them is, do you understand that as investment committee members for this 401k plan that you're a fiduciary? Now, that's going to catch them off guard because people don't typically stop, start presentations that way. So they'll, they'll respond anything from what's a fiduciary to, oh, yeah, I know what a fiduciary is and we got that covered or usually something in between. And then what, what the next thing that you, you say to them is, well, in front of you is a, is a brochure that, ha, that has 21 questions. Those 21 questions are a list of things that you need to be doing as a fiduciary. They begin to read the questions. Very quickly, their expression changes from one of curiosity to concern, and then they begin looking and asking you questions like, well, what is an investment policy statement? And what do you mean when you say we have to, you know, determine whether or not fees and expenses are reasonable? So they begin to ask you questions. And again, what you've done, all you've done, is raise their awareness that, you know what, as a fiduciary, there's things that you should be doing 
probably in many cases, and in fact, I would say in all cases, they're not doing all of them. You're sitting across the table and, and very quickly establishing yourself as one who knows what this is all about. Put you, and then you can go on with the rest of your spiel, puts them in a very good position and dis, from the standpoint of differentiating them from others that might walk in the door after them. And, I, and, and as I talk with designees that do this, it works very well. Outstanding. So how does the AIF designation, along with your toolkit, make a difference for advisors? Because there's three things you do. You, know, you do education, you have tools, and then you have a designation. So when you combine them all, what difference does that make for an advisor in this space? Well, the, the, the first thing is, and I, and I touched on this earlier, the, the, the designation raises the advisor's awareness to tighten up their process. So that's step one. Step two is, and we see this a lot, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but we also see that once one advisor gets a designation from the firm, it's, it's not too long thereafter that other advisors from the firm, from the firm pursue the AIF as well. So, so there's, they, they see the benefit from the standpoint of what, what they're using, how, again, how they're tightening up their process having come through the training. So other advisors in the firm choose to do the same. And then, and then the toolkit, we always say with respect to the toolkit, the toolkit helps you to implement, you know, leveraging technology, it helps you to implement what we've taught you in the training. Um, and so as, as you combine those all together, it, it makes for a very powerful, powerful um, enhancement to the, the level of service that you can deliver to clients. Outstanding. Now, I also know that less than a month ago, you launched a new toolkit. So I think what we're talking about here for the advisors is the advisor's toolkit, but FI360 just announced and began rolling out a fiduciary focus toolkit. How is that different than the advisor's toolkit? It, it's a – probably the best way for me to describe it, Chuck, is it, it's new and improved. Um, the, the, the reason we, 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 we label it fiduciary focus is because it, new and improved, the, the, the underlying code has been completely rewritten, but the, the, in the new and improved toolkit, the fiduciary focus toolkit, the IPS is truly the central focal, focal point, which it should be, which it should be if you're truly approaching an, a client engagement from a fiduciary perspective. So it, it puts the, – the, the IPS generator has been there all along. It puts it right in the center and the, the hub, if you will, and the other tools kind of, you know, come off of that hub. And, um, and it does it in a much more efficient way. It, it, also, it also is – a big part of the, the, of the improvement is making it more user-friendly and more intuitive. Um, and, 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 again, we, we expect that we'll be able to roll the first phase of that out before the end of the month, so we're really, really excited about that. Well, I am too. I've watched the video. I've talked about it with a little bit about with some of the other advisors in the study group, and, and I'm glad you brought up the IPS because my next question is, You've got all these tools. Which ones provide the most plan sponsor impact? I, I would say I would say three. The, the IPS generator, I think, is is, is first because that that helps to it, it, it incorporate documented fiduciary best practices. It, it helps to establish the plan from which everything else flows. The, the investment analyzer would be right behind that. The investment analyzer, it, with that tool, you can analyze mutual funds, ETFs, 
um, and variable annuities, um, collective investment trust. You can you can analyze a myriad of investments. You know the, that's where the fiduciary FI three three sixty fiduciary score fits in. But in the, in this in that case with that tool, you're utilizing the technology to streamline what used to be manual activities and make it much, much more efficient and you can get through a lot of information in a very, very quick way. Um, and then the last one um, is the monitoring reports themselves. And the monitoring reports, I think, have been a strength of our toolkit all along. Um, and, and with those reports, you know, you're providing information in a succinct way to, to, the, to the clients and, and, and those reports you, you enable you to maintain the documentation that proves proves that prudent processes were followed, and that's, that's becoming more and more important every day, as we well know, again, as we continue to move in the fiduciary direction. As I said at the beginning, we're living in interesting times, and I'm glad you brought up the IPS. I'm glad you brought up the monitoring reports, because those are the two pieces that, that I think advisors really can use to stand out. But let's talk about designations. There are a lot of them out there that a typical advisor, whether you're a registered rep or an RIA, can go out and get. Do you happen to see or do you think, and I'm asking you to sort of be Nostradamus for a second, do you see the trend for those designations increasing over the next few years? And do you see this designation, the AIF, trickling into the wealth management space or maybe taking up a larger piece of the wealth management space? Or what are your thoughts on you know, the, the designation market in general, is it going to get bigger? Is it going to be required? Is it going to get smaller? What do you, what's your, what's your guess on that? If I were to guess, Chuck, I would say I think there's going to be continued and maybe even increased scrutiny on designations, um, but not so much, um, not so much from the standpoint in terms of just raw numbers. And, and in fact, in that regard, I think there, there may be a contraction to some extent because there's more and more scrutiny on designations in general from the standpoint of are they, you know, are they legitimate or not? Are they, is there something really to them or not? So in, in, in that respect, we may see a little bit of a contraction, but I, but I think there will continue to be interest and scrutiny on, on making sure that professionals have designations that mean something. Um, and, you know, the, the, the three, three that I'll mention, two along with the AIF. You know, CFA, for example, for, for, someone, for someone that is, is involved in um, analytical work, particularly with respect to the investment managers, CFA, of course, is a must. Um, for someone that's engaging clients and, and, and is, is in an advisory role, um, and then and, and doing financial planning along with that, then, of course, you know, the CFP would be one that would come to most people's minds. AIF, I think, is a, is a wonderful complement to either one of those. Um, and the AIF really is all about learning, as we've talked about, learning about what a fiduciary standard of care looks like and how to implement that with respect to the practice that, that, you, that, that you have and deliver to clients and also making sure that they're meeting their responsibilities as well. Um, the, the, in, the, in the current environment, <clears throat> there, there is so much more of a focus on fiduciary. And with the DOL rule in particular, you know, when, when you used to talk about the AIF designation and in even FI360 in general, people normally thought retirement plans, qualified plans. And, and, and that's, that's our sweet spot, there's no doubt about it. But with the new rule and with IRAs now falling under the fiduciary umbrella, you know, how, how many clients, how many individual retail clients does an advisor have that doesn't have an IRA? Uh, 
probably very few, I'm sure. So, so fiduciary now is there's, there's clearly a bridge over into the retail market, the high net worth market, and you know if the, if the SEC ever um, implements their rule with respect to advice to retail investors, well then you have fiduciary everywhere. So, so I think you know I'm, 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 this may sound self-serving, but I think a designation like AIF that, that focuses squarely on fiduciary in the market that we're in and particularly with respect to where we're headed, I just think it's a designation that most advisors are going to want to have. Well, I would tend to agree with you, and I think you answered the last question I prepared for you, which is you know, how would an advisor choose? And I think that, you know, in the conversations that you and I have, it really depends on the oversight that you have, the firm that you're with, and more importantly, the type of clients. And whether we like it or not, regulation and legislation does have that effect. So I think that, you know, in the short 30 minutes that I've had you on the phone today, I think we have a really good idea of how an advisor, a newly minted or an existing AIF designee, can start and take some of these tools out to help, you know, strengthen the existing relationships that an advisor has and tool when it comes to gathering and winning new business. So, Rich, I want to thank you very much for being on the show today. It was great having you on the other end of the phone, and I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with me today. Glad to do so, Chuck. I, I, I very much enjoyed the conversation. Well, great. Uh, happy holidays to you and the family and all of the folks up at FI360, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on the air soon. So thanks, Rich. You're welcome. Goodbye.